0: Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks So today we're going to continue our series titled Birthmarks. And if you were here last week, or if you weren't, let me explain, there are things that should mark us when we're reborn into Christ Jesus. There are things that should identify us, much like when we're born, many are born with birthmarks. Sadly, a lot of those birthmarks fade, as is the case with our spiritual birthmarks. We get excited, we get amped up, we're thinking, man, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and the longer I'm in the faith, the more those marks, those things that should identify us as Christian, as being reborn, begin to fade in us, and it shouldn't be. And so it's it's imperative, I think, that we return from time to time to the very basics of who we are and what we're expected to be, so that we might be able to live those things out and be marked By that which Christ died to mark us with, amen? Amen. And so today we're going to continue that. We talked about last week where we should start um, that we are students of the Word, and as students of the Word, we shouldn't just be hearing the Word, although we should be hearing the Word, we should be reading the Word, we should be studying the Word, we should be meditating on the Word, maybe even journaling that which God is speaking to us so we could go back and reference those things. All so that we might ultimately be transformed by the word. I I hope as a student to achieve a thing. And the thing I'm trying to achieve is Christ's likeness, transformed in my mind to the likeness of Christ. Amen? And so that's what we talked about last week. This week, I want to talk, and although these aren't in any specific order, uh, I want to talk Today, about what I think actually is the second most significant thing, if they're if they if you can order them at all, and that is steadfast in prayer. If you're not a praying person, you need to be. I don't know how else to say it as simply as that, but prayer isn't non obligatory for the Christian. It's our responsibility to pray. We have to be steadfast in our prayer, which literally means to be resolute, unwavering, and persistent. That's why in 1 Thessalonians, it says, be diligent in prayer or pray always. Pray without ceasing is what it says. I'm sorry. Pray without ceasing but that is to be diligent in prayer. That is to be steadfast, to be resolute. No matter what happens in my life, no matter what my schedule looks like, no matter how much stuff I got going on, I have to start my day, in my day, and walk through my day with a God consciousness in prayer. People are all, man, I can't pray all the time. I, I won't get anything done. When it says pray without ceasing, it means keep a God consciousness on you all the time. Be constantly aware that there is God with you. And in so doing, have conversations with him. To be resolute in those things is our responsibility. Charles Swindoll said it like this. Being faithful to prayer is not a suggestion. It is a command from the Spirit of God to all who claim to be followers of Christ. So here it is. It's not a suggestion. That which God commands, God expects. People say far too often, I think, well, I need to start praying. I'm going to start praying tomorrow. Or I'm going to start praying the day after that. Or every day they say the same thing over and over. I'm going to set aside time to pray, but never actually do. Do. We have to be obedient to the word of God. We talked about that last week. We have to be obedient to the word of God. And if we are called to be steadfast in prayer, to be praying without ceasing, then guess what our responsibility is to do? Pray without ceasing, to be steadfast, resolute, and determined in prayer. And I'm going to explain why all these things are important in just a few moments, but primarily because you can't be in intimate relationship with someone you're not willing to have a conversation with. It would be impossible and I for it would be impossible for Angela and I to be in relationship if we never talk to each other. The same is true with God. Sometimes she thinks. Maybe you could talk less, <laughs> but God's always willing to hear you. Amen? My wife's trying to move towards perfection and hear my voice all the time, but she'll get there. I love you. <laughs> so anyway, if steadfast prayer life isn't optional, to be steadfast in prayer is to develop an intimate relationship with God by which the disciple's condition is established. I want to talk to you about your condition and what prayer establishes in you, just real quick. <clears throat> it says in prayer we are strengthened in weakness. Second Corinthians twelve nine, and he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Any of you ever felt weak? Like you just can't get it done? It's okay. You can't. One of the church plant guys that we, pastors that we planted, the first day his church opened, I was there, and he said, Pastor, I don't I don't think I can do this. I said, you can't. <laughs> Rest in the fact. You can't. He goes, but I'm super nervous. Hey, you should be. Unless you trust that God is strong enough to do it. Prayer ensures through conversation that we recognize God's strength when we're not able. We walk in the peace of God. And according to the word, that peace is guarded. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but everything in prayer and supplication With a heart of thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, everybody say peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. Can you imagine the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul to write beyond comprehension? The Holy Spirit is telling Paul, listen, There is no way you have the ability to comprehend with your finite mind the peace that is available to you through prayer and supplication with a heart of thanksgiving, (coughs) which surpasses all comprehension and will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Our condition is that we find joy. John 5.13, Is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. We move from uncertainty and fear to a position of confidence in God. Hebrews 4.16, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, which is done in prayer so that you may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Anybody ever need grace and mercy in your time of need? <clears throat> certainly I, I text a friend of mine who moved last year and I told him I said I'm praying this morning on my way to church and I just want you to know that I am so thankful that because of our high priest even though we can't be in the same room to worship today we will be in the same room praying today not only does it move us to a place Of comfort, but it also moves us to a place of unity. Because if you're in your house, if I'm in my house, even if we're all together, we're all in the throne room of God there because our high priest gave us access to God to have conversation with God through Christ Jesus. And that by itself is reason enough to pray. Amen? And so I'm going to teach today from what is my favorite Pauline verse, Pauline prayer? <clears throat> David is probably the only person in the scripture that I think might have been a, a more determined person of prayer and worship, um, but I'm not sure that's true. There are 47 prayers of Paul listed in the New Testament. And as you know, or if you don't know, you probably should know, Based on my prayer of verse 17, all the time. First, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1 15 through 23 is the prayer I'm going to be preaching out of today. He's talking to the Ephesian church, Paul is, and he says this For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. So verse 15 and 16, let me just recap this real fast. Paul says, everybody around town is talking about you. People around the region are talking about you. They're talking about your faith. They're talking about your love for one another. And I'm so proud of you. And and out of my my being proud of you, out of your faithfulness, out of your love, let me tell you. I'm praying for you that those things continue. I want to start that by saying I started there when I could have actually started in the prayer because I want to take a second to tell you, I'm proud of you. People all around this town talk about you, about your love and your faithfulness, your commitment, not just to each other, but to this community. And for those reasons, well, at least part of those reasons, I pray for you that you continue to be people of love and of faith that people want to talk about. Why? Not not so that people say, oh, look, Miss Susan's awesome, and Miss Susan is awesome, but so that they can say, Miss Susan is awesome, and she goes to Launch Point Church, and they glorify God. Amen? And then he continues. With his actual prayer. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might So let me talk to you about this prayer so that we might see the benefit of being steadfast in prayer. I want to start first, though, with steadfast in prayer acknowledges God. You don't have the right to go before the throne room of God without the relationship in Jesus Christ. Everything that we pray for, everything that we pray, including goes to god amen it's for the purpose of his glory and i can prove this to you in scripture 11 11 romans eleven thirty five and 36 says or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again from him through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever from him which means everything that we have everything that we hope to have is established first in him comes through him and that it's delivered to us and because it is delivered to us should go back to him as an act of worship and prayer and glorification of himself amen so god is the originator and god should return receive the dividends from that which he has created, which he has done for us, everything that we do, we have to rely on God. You know why? Because we're not self-sufficient. I hear, I love that when people say that they say, I'm self-sufficient. I take care of myself. Let me tell you, you can't take care of yourself. You don't have the physical ability to take care of yourself, the breath in your lungs. You didn't create your body. You didn't create the atmosphere that allows you to breathe the air into your lungs. You didn't do anything. You can't create anything. I think one of the greatest things ills in the church right now is this creator mentality, this small G mentality. If I say it, I can create it. There's power of Life and death in the tongue. There is power of life and death in the tongue in regard to our attitude towards God. But there is not power of life and death in our tongue in regard to us creating anything. We can't create anything because God is the creator. Amen. James 1.17, he says, Every good thing, that's every good thing, And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. These are very, very specific promises. These are declarations. He says every good thing, every perfect gift comes from God. What do you have that you'd call good? What do you call that, you have perfect, that you'd have That you call perfect? God gave you that. And as beautiful as that is, let me tell you what I think is even more beautiful, that it comes from God who has no shifting shadow or variation in him, which is to say he never changes. And so if he ever offered you a good gift, he offers you good gifts now. If he ever loved anyone in the future because he's perfectly just and perfectly loving, he loves you too. If he's ever offered salvation to somebody, he's offering salvation to you. If he's ever offered forgiveness to somebody, he's offering forgiveness to you. You know why? Because he's a good, just God, and all good things come from him. We need to acknowledge this before we start praying. That's the reason why we pray with supplication and a heart of thanksgiving. I thank, I am thankful that my God doesn't shift and change and get a different attitude about me, when I come to him in prayer, in repentance, he's as faithful to forgive me as he is to forgive my pastor and every other person in this room. He doesn't look at me and say, oh, you fell one too many times. Now, it's not my desire to fall, certainly shouldn't be yours, but at the same time, when we fall, God holds us in his righteous right hand and restores us back to his righteousness when we repent. God, that's good right there. What am I trying to do? I'm just trying to build your confidence that you there is benefit because you're in relationship with God to be in steadfast prayer, to be committed to prayer because God's not a liar. He's a giver of good gifts, and he does it for his own glory. That's good. Let there be no doubt in us that God answers prayer. Let me go back. He does it for his own glory. What does glory mean? If you don't know what glory means, there's actually a couple different definitions for glory, but the primary definition in Scripture, glory is the full weight of. So when you say get glory to glorify God, you are literally saying to give full weight to God in regard to who He is, to the best of your finite ability. It's the reason why when Moses was hidden, when Moses asked to see the glory of God, God hid him in the rock. You know why? And what he tell him? He said, you can't see my glory because it'll kill you. You know why? Because the full weight of who God is is too much for the finite mind. And so everything is so that we might demonstrate, so that he might demonstrate through us and to us the full weight of who he is. And let me tell you, your mind can't grasp how incredibly great and infinite he is. And I praise God for that, because if I can't grasp how big he is, I can't grasp the blessings and the love and the compassion and the mercy he's willing to bestow on me. And that's reason to pray. Hmm. But we can't just expect God to be answering every prayer. If you pray, God will give it to you. You can't keep all jumping in prayer all willy-nilly, if that's a thing. There's stipulations for answered prayer. Did you know that? You're like, no, no, God. Bible says, well, let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says: if you pray in faith, if you pray in the name of Jesus, if you walk in righteousness, because it's the prayer of a righteous man that avails much, that's the promise. And if you pray while delighting yourself in the things that delight God, which is to align your will with his will, then you can hope to have your prayers answered. And guys, you got to treat your wives well, because the Bible will also tell you that a man who doesn't treat his wife's wife well will have his prayers hindered. I'll be praying for you. <laughs> So we can pray to God, but let's pray to God with some sense according to his will, because these are the prayers that he promises to hear. And when he hears them, answer them according to his will. Hmm. Number two, having acknowledged God, having set that precedent in the first part of 17, where he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, We recognize that we need to be steadfast in prayer because steadfastness in prayer brings wisdom and revelation. Y'all hear me pray this all the time, right? It says, and may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul's saying, listen, man, this is what I want for you. I want you to have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. He's already laid the foundation According to scripture, God hears prayer, that prayers are answered by God through the work of Christ Jesus. Now I need you to understand the first thing I'm praying for is that you have wisdom and revelation. Specifically, let's talk about wisdom. First thing I want you to understand is what wisdom isn't. Wisdom isn't information. Isn't knowledge. There's some smart people out there and I'm not, I'm not hacking on smart people but they don't have to, you can be smart, you can be super smart and not wise. I have met a lot of ignorant, stupid folks. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Just when I said that, a face popped in your head. (laughs) Right? I hope it wasn't mine. (laughs) But what is wisdom? Wisdom is experience plus perspective, plus knowledge. So when I, when Paul says, I'm going to pray wisdom for you so that you might know God, he is essentially saying, I am praying God's wisdom over you so that you might have an eternal perspective of your life and what God expects of you, an eternal um, experience of what God expects of you. Let me tell you, God sees the landscape of your life. Did you know that? Like he saw your first day, your your last day before your first one. That's what the Bible says. And if he has that kind of perspective over your life, then if I ask God, because I'm praying for wisdom, what I should do next, he already knows what he expects me to do next. And the word of God says that when I pray for wisdom, he gives it to me. And so he gives me his experience to the degree in which I can handle it. He gives me his perspective, and he gives me the knowledge to seek him as I should seek him. I think that's a brilliant prayer for Paul to pray, and one we should pray over each other and ourselves. God, just give me your perspective in regard to this problem, because we get bogged down in our problems because we get this close to our problem. If I got went outside and put my face against anything this close, within an inch or two, I wouldn't be able to tell what it is. And that's where we're at in our life. We can't see what's going on in our life because we're this close to it. But God has a 30,000-foot view of our life and can see the whole thing. He sees and knows and wrote the roadmap for your life. And because of his perspective, because of his experience and because of his knowledge and the fact that Paul is praying that over the Ephesians and you should be praying that over yourselves as I pray it over me and you, then you should be able to know the next thing you should be doing. My papa was a wise man. He wasn't wise though because he was smart. He was wise because he was old and he had a lot of experience. And his perspective was different. If I could take every 20-year-old right now and just shake their brain out of their head (laughs) and say, come on, man. Let me tell you the important things first. Jesus. If you'll get Jesus right, pursue him all the days of your life then whatever you set your hand to, you can assure he will undergird and he will walk with you and he will bless you and you'll be given the things that are most significant in this life, which are only the things that allow you opportunity into the next life. That's what I tell every 20-year-old. Why? Because even though I'm not my papa's age, I do have the wisdom, the perspective, the experience and the knowledge to know all that stuff that most 20-year-olds are doing I was doing, and it didn't turn out well for me. So he prayed for wisdom, but also he prayed for revelation. Prayed for revelation for a reason. So that we might know and have knowledge of him. I ask this question all the time. How many of you guys want to know more about God than you know right now? I hope you do. When I pray for revelation, God gives me revelation. I, <clears throat> I hope this doesn't sound braggartly. I certainly don't mean it to, but I have people come up pretty regular and say, man, how'd you get that out of the word? I didn't even see that because I pray for revelation. That same revelation's readily available to you, but you got to seek Revelation. Do you not think if God will answer prayer according to his will, that it's not in his will that he show himself to you so you'll know who he is? Of course it's in his will. So if I pray for revelation, I'm praying according to his will, and then I have a promise that he'll answer it, and all I want to know is, God, show me more of yourself. Let me know who you are so that in my struggles, in my pain, even in my celebrations, I know who to go to, who to point to, and who to celebrate. That happens in Revelation. In Revelation, I realize his faithfulness, his love, his provision, his protection, his healing, all the things that the Bible says that he is through Revelation. Amen? But remember the recurring theme from last week is that which he does in us, he wants to do Through us, thank you. And so, my prayer isn't just wisdom and revelation so that I might know you. My prayer is always, even when I pray it over you guys, God, I ask that you give us wisdom and revelation so that we might know you, so that we might also make you known. Because that's what God expects of us. Church, has to have a challenge in it. We God has charged us with a thing, a thing bigger than us. Amen? A thing that we're not capable of accomplishing without his wisdom and a revelation of who he is so that we can stand on it and be immovable. Man, that's, that's good stuff right there. I ought to start preaching that. Steadfast prayer, number three. Steadfast prayer exposes our, our purpose, his provision, and his power. Our purpose, his provision, and his power. If you're taking notes, it should be up here. Verses 18 and 19 read like this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. He's essentially saying, I hope that you come into this thing with eyes wide open, with a full view so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of his power. Through us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Man, that's a lot of stuff. He said, I desire you to know. I want you to walk in here, eyes wide open, the hope of your calling. Do you know why he wrote to the Ephesian church? Because he wanted to encourage them. This is the most encouraging letter I think Paul wrote. And he wanted to encourage them to know God loves them, sees them, hasn't forgotten them. So stand firm. Don't be moved. That's why at the end of Ephesians, he starts talking about spiritual warfare and all that. Because anytime you become confident, well, not any time. A lot of times you become confident, you become complacent, and when you become complacent, you fall away. And so he wants to encourage them. Keep up the good fight. Keep doing what you're doing. Let me under. Let me make sure you understand. I want you to have a full understanding of your calling. You know what your calling is? I'm not talking about what God's called you to in regard to teaching or preaching or ushering or anything like that. The calling that you need to be made aware of, the calling that God needs you to be aware of, that Paul prays that you have a full comprehension of is your call to him, that he has called you to himself, that he loves you enough according to the word of God, that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. Amen? So that even though you were previously judged, you won't be judged anymore. This is the calling that he is talking about. We are his people. Let me read something to you out of 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race. You're his people. A royal priesthood set with a purpose. A holy nation. You should be blameless. A people for God's own possession because he loves you, he holds you, and sustains you. I'm adding words between the things if you're following along so that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You know why he wants you to be aware of your, and assured of your calling so that you'll know who you are. And so that you will declare who you are to other people that they may be who you are too. Mm. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God and had not received mercy, but now, praise God, have received mercy. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful because we don't deserve it. That's what makes it mercy. We deserve to be judged. God did away with that judgment, placed it on Christ Jesus, and gave us freedom. That's our calling. That's what he wants them to remember. That's what he's saying. Go into into this thing. I want you to live your Christian life understanding who you are. And so we steadfast in prayer asking God, show me who I am. Let me have opportunity to show other people who they are to you too. Amen? Amen? And he says, and the riches of his inheritance. He wants to show his provision. The riches of his inheritance. What do you think the inheritance of God actually looks like? Have you ever just thought, closed your eyes, and man, when I get to heaven, the beautiful inheritance that I'll receive. It's beyond words. I ask you to close your eyes and imagine it because Man, you just read your Bible. It's amazing. Streets of gold, walls made of all kinds of um, beautiful stones, gates made of pearl. The love of God so magnificent that it warms you and is the only necessary light in that space. No tears. No pain, no suffering. Perfect peace. Where things that should be enemies in this world, even into the animal world, aren't enemies anymore, but loving and unified in every way. That's an inheritance I pray for. That's our hope eternal life. The Bible says this, Matthew 25, 46, these will go away into eternal punishment, those who don't believe, but the righteous into eternal life and that our inheritance is sealed by the Spirit. Ephesians 1:13 and 14, in him as Christ Jesus, you also after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the holy spirit of promise who is given as the pledge of your inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory not only do you have an inheritance but he sealed you with the holy spirit so you know that you can have confidence in that inheritance an eternal hope and then paul says I pray that you might understand the strength of his might. Paul wants us to know that all the power of God is exerted toward and upon those who believe. Did you catch that? All the power of his might is exerted on those who love and believe he is who he says he is and who belong to him. And we worry about stuff. God's power is enough. People are all, all the time, I'm in the middle of my David and Goliath fight or I'm in the middle of my whatever. Goliath ain't got nothing on Jesus, man. No enemy you've ever faced, no situation you've ever dealt with, no circumstance has ever been bigger than the creator God you serve. And he is father to you, loving, intimate father to you. You don't think he wants a relationship with you and he doesn't want to protect that which is his? Let me tell you, you walk in my house, raise your hand at my grandson. I dare you. My might's not perfect, but it'll be wrathful. Because I love that which belongs to me. And God loves that which belongs to him. And he will protect it. We see evidence of it throughout scripture. God does not leave his people unprotected and wanting. Because his might is powerful. All powerful, in fact. Amen? So why do we pray? So that we can see the might of God. So that we can understand our calling. So that we can have and hold the confidence of our inheritance. When I pray, God reassures me of these things. Over and over and over, I get a reassurance of these things. But ultimately, steadfast prayer has to stand on authority. But it's not my authority It's not your authority. It's not your parents' authority. It's the authority in the name of Jesus. If you ain't praying to the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you might as well not pray at all because it is only by the work of Christ Jesus that we have the ability to come, as we spoke of a moment ago, into that throne room expecting to receive. He did all the work and is our high priest. And this is what Paul says. He says, which he brought about in Christ. All this stuff that we just prayed for is only accessible through Christ Jesus. When he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That's a lot of words to say, there is nothing above the name of Jesus. None of your problems are above the name of Jesus. None of your situations are above the name of Jesus. None of your financial issues, none of your marital issues are above the name of Jesus. Take authority in the name of Jesus because you have been raised as co-heirs with him. Amen? And stand in prayer. Hmm. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Everything in Jesus. You know, we could, I could talk for another couple hours about this probably. Well, I mean, I'm going to, I'm just going to say the same stuff. But here's, Here's, here's what I'd like to say at the end. Pray all you want to. You should. But if you don't know Jesus, it's not going to matter. Everything starts in relationship with Jesus because Jesus gave you opportunity to be in relationship with the one that can answer those prayers in the first place. And I want for you so badly to have everything that you that you want that God wants for you. But more than anything, God wants for you to spend eternity with you. Ten thousand years from now, your stuff ain't gonna matter. The only thing that's gonna matter is your relationship with Jesus and that you had one. We get so wrapped up in this life. I'll tell you, I've said it before. This life is just the application process for eternity. We're getting all wrapped up in the job interview with no eye towards the job. We have to know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have promise of any of this. And so I ask you, are you in relationship with Jesus? Have you made a commitment according to the word of God that Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Because that's the first steadfast prayer we need to make. If there's anyone in here who has never made that confession, or as it says in Hebrews, Hebrews has allowed themselves to slip away, and you need to repent and get back to your first love, I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you stand? And there'd be no reason to be embarrassed because we love you. And this is what we pray for. Is there anybody in this room? Amen. If you get home and you decide there is or before you leave here, this prayer is simple. It's just asking Jesus to forgive you. Declaring that he's Lord, saying that you'll do whatever his word commands of you. But if you do that outside of here, could you let me know? Because I'd love to celebrate you as God celebrates you. Amen.